to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Welcome, everyone. So glad you're here today. You know, for the next two months, we're starting a new series. We're going to be using Mary O'Malley's book, What's in the Way? is the way, and I'll explain more about that title in a little bit. Her thesis, though, is a simple one, and it really fits in well with what we talked about last month. Last month, you'll remember, we talked about the very nature of God and spirituality itself. We went back to the basics of science of mind and covered some of the the, the key principles. And you know, this book starts right out the same way with the discussion of what is this thing called spirit? Now, in her book, she calls it the meadow of possibilities. Um, For those of you who enjoy reading the New Testament, Jesus called it the kingdom of heaven. And Ernest Holmes, as you remember last week, simply called it the universe, that ineffable allness, that, that unity principle that we talked about. And I think where I would like to start is with a brief meditation. It's right out of the book. This is how she starts chapter one. And it is an illustration of this idea of the meadow of possibility. So close your eyes for just a moment. I think you'll find that this is a sweet little way to get started in this book. She invites us to imagine a day when everything was completely all right. And not just all right, but but really okay. Everything is okay. You may have just fallen in love or received something you've wanted for a very long time. Or maybe you're on vacation with no pressures, just lying in a hammock, deep contentment. Allow the images of your okay, just right day to fill you up. And go for the gusto. Let in that okayness, that daydreaminess. Let it flood your mind, your body, and your heart. And now notice what you're experiencing as you use your imagination to open up to the joy of everything being okay. In your mind, there is probably a sense that nothing ever needs to be different than it is right now. In your body, there's likely an experience of relaxation that just allows for joy, for gratitude, for peace to well up. Your heart is open. There's a spaciousness. There's light. What would it be like if you knew that everything was always okay. Now that doesn't mean that there might not be challenges. It just means that you wouldn't have to turn them into problems. What would it be like to live from this open, relaxed, engaged, and spacious place? Isn't this all what we deeply long for? To no longer struggle with life and instead to be open to the experience of life. This is possible. I invite you to open your eyes again. So this fits in so completely with our science of mind principle, doesn't it? 
everything that we ever need, everything that our heart desires, is really available to us in this infinity of possibilities right now. We don't necessarily have to go anyplace. We don't necessarily have to do something or be a certain kind of thing. We don't have to follow the rules or not follow the rules. We just have to show up and Spirit will meet us right where we are always. Now, I'm sure there's at least one of you out there that's going something like, well, okay, I, I get that, but I suspect, Larry, that you're talking on the spiritual plane. What about the holy mess I'm in right now in some or other aspect of my life? And so I want to address that, and I think the best way of addressing that is by today's joke. So an American businessman was at the pier of a small coastal town in Mexico when a small boat with just one fisherman docked. The fisherman had caught several large yellowfin tunas. The American complimented the fellow on the quality of the fish and asked how long it took him to catch them. Well, the fisherman replied, you know, just a little while. So the American then asked, well, why didn't he stay out longer and catch more fish? Well, the fellow said he had enough to support his family's immediate needs and still some to, to sell. The American then asked, but, but what do you do with the rest of your time then? And the fisherman smiled. I sleep late, I fish a little, I play with my children, I take a siesta with my wife, Maria, I stroll into the village each evening where I sip wine and play guitar with my amigos. Well, the American scoffed. I'm an MBA, you know. I could help you with this. If you just spent more time fishing, you could use the proceeds to buy a bigger boat. And with the bigger boat, you could end up buying several boats, eventually a fleet of fishing boats. You would sell directly to the processor, eventually opening your own cannery. You could control the product completely, processing, distribution, all of it. Why, you could move into the city and oversee everything in the lap of luxury. The fisherman asked, but senor, how long would all this take? Well, 10 to 15 years. And then what, senor? The American laughed. Well, that's the best part. When the time is right, you sell your company and become very rich. You could make millions. And then that would be the perfect time to retire. You could move to a small coastal town where you could sleep late, fish a little, play with your grandkids, take a siesta with your wife while you could stroll into the village every evening where you could sip wine and play your guitar with your amigos. And so what Mary O'Malley is going to be explaining to us over the next eight weeks is not that we're lacking for ingenuity. It's not that we're lacking for directing our thoughts. It's that perhaps we have our sights on the wrong objectives. Her suggestion, in fact, is that we're preoccupied with things that are not even healthy for us to be preoccupied with. And that if we wish to continue feeling that 
that meadow of expectancy that she talked about, if we wish to embrace the idea of heaven here on earth, it isn't so much that we don't have what it takes to do that already. In fact, she would say that we have what it takes all the time and in every minute. It's that we're busy elsewhere. So let me explain a little bit about busy elsewhere. And I think the best way to do that is to talk about something that goes on in our minds probably, well, even when we're sleeping, I would guess, but that little voice in our mind that is kind of the, the social director or the commentator, the storyteller, if you will, about your life. And, and I can give you kind of a, you know, off the top of my head example of it, right? So even as you're sitting there, some of you are saying things like, you know, this is a pretty good talk. And I, and I really like Larry's tie today. <laughs> he did a nice job of dressing. And, and others of you are saying, you know, I do like this room, but it, it's a little warm today. I, I wonder about the, the heating that's going on. And other people are saying, Mary, oh, Alley. I remember her. I saw her on Oprah. I bet that's the best-selling book that he had. And, and, and on and so forth. It's just that, that storyteller. And typically the storyteller is doing what? It's a very interesting thing. And my guess is it comes from when the human race was first brought forth, that little voice inside in particular is looking for things that might be troublesome or harmful or disruptive. And then it sets us on a track to somehow ameliorate it, fix it. So our brains, sadly, I think, although it served us really well, in, in, in fact, in, in another talk maybe a year ago, I did UG at the dawn of history and hiding behind a rock up here. And, and I think, you know, our brains were designed marvelously to keep us safe. But that was when saber-toothed tigers were hunting us down. That was when we were not at the top of the food chain. That's when we didn't have houses to shelter us from the storm. When we didn't have supermarkets where we could just stop in and pick up what we needed. And so that idea of keeping us safe, unfortunately, still has the same power over us than it did thousands, tens of thousands of years ago. And when we see something out of place or something a little bit harmful, we get that flush of chemicals and emotions in it just as though there were actually something dangerous out there waiting for us. And so when we notice we're out of ketchup in the refrigerator, it's almost the same feeling to us as maybe 30,000 years ago when we went out to the storehouse and discovered there was no grain left for the winter, right? It's like starvation. Well, for us, when we're out of ketchup, we go to Winco, right? I mean, it's no big deal. But yet those same feelings can be there for us. The telephone ringing, oh my gosh, what if it's whatever, right? It, it, it's like that flush of emotion, almost like, almost like all of us have a minor form of post-traumatic stress. The littlest things suddenly take us out of that field of possibility that the meditation led us into and has us wanting to fix something. So our brains were designed to notice the harmful, the wrong, the out of place, the different, 
and to fix it. There isn't that much that needs fixing anymore. If you really think about it, replay your last week. Now, if you're like me, in the last week, there were seven days, 24 hours in each day, and I would bet there was maybe one or two days that for five or 10 minutes, things were not going well. Do you realize percentage-wise what that is of our life? And yet our mind always seeking out the smallest little things to find wrong and fix, even if it doesn't really need fixing. It's just a thing. It's just something that happened. It was just that upsetting telephone call that I had. It was just that encounter with that one person in the supermarket that was a little less than pleasant, and yet, right? I've replayed it over in my mind 37 times. I've wondered if I should have said something different more times than you can count. I woke up with this strange feeling in my heart that something wasn't right. Do you see what I mean? It's our brains pretending that we're 20,000 years ago and really in trouble when our lives are, I figured out the percentages on that, by the way, when our lives are 99.98% going super well. So how do we get away from this find and fix, this find fault and fix? How do we get to minimize that and become more in the meadow? When we're in the meadow, when we're in the kingdom of heaven, when Ernest Holmes said we're, we're moving with the universe instead of against it, we begin to notice that everything around us is actually pretty darn delightful. We notice that our relations are 99% sweet and loving and honest and open. We notice that our working environment is actually very supportive and helpful. We notice that our friends and our neighbors and the people around us, not without exception, but mostly are there living in harmony and peace and goodness. We're going to learn a technique starting next week that you can think of as harnessing your curiosity. But I want to try it out on you for just a moment before we close today. So think about the last time that you were upset with someone or something. Now, it might have been, uh, you may not have to go back that far, right? <laughs> for those of you who read the news every day, I'm pretty sure there was something in there that may have ticked you off a little bit. That's us getting out of the meadow. That's us wondering how society is going to fix politics, how society or what I can do to, to support, I don't know, anti-racism or like you name it. We're immediately in that mode of finding the fault and then what can I do to fix it? What if instead, what if instead you simply directed your mind to curiosity? Have you ever thought of curiosity as a spiritual tool? I think we're going to have some fun with this. I think we're going to have a lot of fun in the coming month and a half with the idea of curiosity as a spiritual tool.
So picture that moment in your mind, something that ticked you off, that was angry, that pulled you out of that idea of, uh, of heaven at hand, of the, the meadow of possibilities. And if instead of reacting to it, if instead of maybe judging it or wanting to fix it, what if instead you started asking yourself questions? What would my life be like? I'm curious. What would my life be like if I wasn't worried about politics at all? What would my life be like if I didn't worry that my boss was trying to get me fired or or giving me a bad performance review? And I'm curious, why is it that I think and worry about this so much? I'm curious, does it, does it actually help me in any way? Is my fear about this actually helpful in any way? I'm curious about that. For one thing, what it does is it disrupts the actual feeling of fear. You can't be curious and fearful at the same time. You can't be confused and curious at the same time. It's a, it's a kind of a natural emotion that puts you in the pause, the reflective mode. Instead of worrying, now you're being curious. So it leads us into um, the homework for this week. Uh, we're we're going to do a little bit of more talking about the storyteller, but I'm going to jump ahead for just a minute and talk about our homework. So your homework this week, you get you get a choice. Half of you get to do one homework, and half of you get to do another homework. The good news is you get to choose which half. I'm not going to assign it out. So the first part of the homework is to use the meditation that we did in the books. I know many of you have purchased the book, or uh, for those of you online or with access to a computer, you can just replay the part of today's service where I led you into that meditation around the meadow. So for half of you, I would like you to experience more of the meadow. If you could work that into your schedule every day, I think that alone could change your life. It's just a reminder of what reality really is. You are living in the meadow of possibility. You have the power to bring yourself to that place of peace and harmony. So I'd like half of you to do that. The other half of you, though, I would like you to use this new technique of just curiosity. The next time something pisses you off, the next time something upsets you, the next time you feel like your button's been pressed, instead of anger, instead of trying to fix things, instead of replaying them in your mind and hoping for a better result, next time you find yourself doing any of those things instead, be curious about it. Why why am I feeling this way? Does it actually serve me in any way? Is this a a useful activity? Just do a little positive inquiry. Don't beat yourself up. Just ask yourself some positive questions. Who would I be if I didn't worry about this? What would it be like if I just approached everybody fresh? If I just left the story behind? Remember the storyteller? What if I just left the storyteller behind and just took things as they came to me? What would that be like? Well, before we close today, I do want to talk a little bit more 
about the storyteller because I think there is a part of the storyteller that's really useful for us and a part of the storyteller that does represent perhaps this more um, disruptive force that gets us out of experiencing the good life. And I want to make sure that you can tell the difference. It's the difference, I think, between our intuition, which is God-centered, that positive force, that voice inside our head that is, uh, is really motivated by love and light and spirit, and then the part that we've been talking about, the storyteller that's always out to find fault or find things that are different and then fix them. Primarily, it's easy to spot because of the motivation. The fixer, that fixer voice, that problem finder voice is always motivated by fear. They're always worried about something. So if the voice comes from that place of fear, that's the one that you should be questioning. Is this really true? Do I really have to worry about this? I'm, I'm curious about whether I have to listen to that voice. I know it kept my ancestors safe, and it may be the thing that keeps me safe, right? If the MAX train is headed towards me and I notice, oh my God, I'm on the track, right? I'm not saying to dismiss that voice, but when that voice comes up, ask yourself, is this useful? And then the other voice is almost always motivated by love. It's the voice that's moving you forward. It's the voice of spirit in your mind, tipping you off to new opportunities, new ways of being, an expanded view of the world. So we both have that commentator going on. We, we all have that idea of, uh, of the storyteller but let us be picky and choosing about which of the voices we live with and act upon. Let us not keep churning away at the fears that probably aren't even real. And instead, listen to the voice of love that can lead you forward into a more expansive life. Well, You've got your homework, just that quick reminder. Half of you are going to do the being in the meadow meditation. You're going to spend just a few minutes every day bringing yourself back to that awareness of infinite possibilities, infinite love, infinite life. If you want to use the meditation out of the book, it's a great idea. Otherwise, you can probably lead yourself there by your own memories of a time when everything felt okay. And then the other half of you are just going to notice those voices going on in your head, the storyteller. And when the storyteller is coming from a place of fear, telling you, oh my God, you need to fix this. Oh my God, I need to replay that conversation. Oh my gosh, what was she thinking? What's he going to do? If it's that voice of fear, just start being curious about it. I'm going to close today with a quote from the book and a prayer. She says, you, like sleeping beauty, can wake up from that annoying storyteller. As you discover how to listen to your heart and trust it again, you will discover that it is the wisest guide and friend that you will ever have. Your heart is the gatekeeper for the energy of aliveness that you really are. 
the more open your heart is, the more you have access to your natural state of peace, of well-being and ease, no matter what is happening. It is possible to live a life in which your reactive mind, that storyteller, does not close down the wisdom of your heart. And this is the journey that we are on. Let us pray. There is one power. There is one life, one joy, one love. There's only this one thing. And what I know about this one thing is that it's everything. Every person, every place, every situation, all of it, all of it, centered in the consciousness of spirit. Each of us within spirit's good grace. I know that means me. I know that means all of us. And I claim on this day that we have that willingness to accept life as it comes. Infinitely good. No need to be fixing and changing. No need to be drawn into the drama of the world. There's a willingness on all of our parts to stop finding problems to fix and to enjoy the grand life that exists for us right here and right now. And so I'm grateful for this. I recognize in it the, the solution to so much of the world's issues. I'm, I'm grateful in knowing that these spiritual principles are alive and at work in my mind and available to the world. And so in gratitude, I release this prayer. I release it into the action and activity of the law. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Now is our time of conscious contribution. I, I invite you to take your gift or your tithe. Those of you online can go to our website at cslportland.org slash donate to make an online donation. If you'd like, you can repeat after me. Graciously I give, Graciously I give. from a place of love, knowing that as I give, so do I richly receive. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab. We have a variety of content dedicated specifically for our podcast listeners. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at cslportland.org slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.